Welcome! I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. everyone. Today is Mother's Day. For you that are mothers or mamas, I just want to wish you the a wonderful day. We have a special edition here. It's not what you might expect. It definitely does talk about motherhood, but it's not the typical path. It may be a path that many choose, and there's many other fun things that are involved with this. My special guest is someone that I know and got to work with, and she and I met each other in Alaska. Our guest is Rebecca Vandewater. She's a CNM and an ARNP. CNM is a certified nurse midwife, just like I was, and a nurse practitioner. She's been doing this for 18 years, everybody. She accomplished motherhood in a way that she will describe to us further on in this show. She is the solo mama. She also owns Earth Song Integrative Medicine and Midwifery, a practice that she started in Alaska and continues with telemedicine. She also offers an online course called Radiant Energy for Women. Becca's mission is to help women reclaim their energy so that they can live a life of connection, purpose, and passion. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Becca Vandewater, thank you for being here. I am so delighted to have you with us today. You have so much to give and bring about your rich experiences, your choices that are uncommon and yet not unheard of, and the, and the whole journey that that's taken you on. Let's get right to it. Welcome. Okay. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Roxanne. The initial journey. Well, okay. So um, when I was four, um, my mom shared with me this book called A Child is Born by Leonard Nelson. And my sister was young. She'd been born about two years prior. And I was really curious about this whole work of where babies come from. And so I, I studied that book like it was, it became my favorite, favorite book as a child. The pictures were just phenomenal. And then I realized that I needed to be a mother. But but it also set the, the place for me to think, okay, but I also need to be something else. Something in this realm is really important to me. And so over the years, as I went through middle school, high school, college, I knew I needed to be something in the realm of parenting, babies, maybe a pediatrician, maybe an obstetrician, a healer, um, and then in 2004, I felt super drawn in a lot of directions and um, 
an interesting thing happened. So I was dating this guy who's a lovely human being. And I was trying to figure out where I was going in my life. I was 20. How, no, I was 2003 and I was 20. What? Something. And um, I had the sudden sense that he was blocking something that was coming. And so I, I terminated the relationship. He didn't appreciate that. And how I knew that, I don't know. But um, I just had the sense that there was some information coming. And I was at a crossroads trying to sort out what I was going to do with my life. And within two weeks, I had this experience of walking across the green where I lived, Guilford, Connecticut, headed to the library to check out this book that a mama that I knew had recommended called Spiritual Midwifery. I'd never heard of it. I had thought about becoming a midwife um, for a long time and always felt like, no, I can't do it. Like, I, I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't, I don't want the sacrifices. Um, but I thought, okay, I'll go check out this book. And I was walking across the green. Something happened. I wish you could see my hands, all of you. But like, literally, there was this channeling of energy that came down from the sky into the top of my head. And let me tell you, I was agnostic, if that's even the right word. Like, I had no faith then. None. Okay. I come from a faith-based family, but I had none. Um, and this energy came down into the top of my head and filled me. And there was this reverberation that said, you are a midwife. It is time wow. to be a midwife. You cannot go another day without knowing this and living it. It is time. And, um, and so then with every step I took, on the rest of the journey to the library across the green, I, it like all clicked, like all the jigsaw puzzles for this like million piece puzzle of my life just filtered right into place. And it was like, oh my gosh, all these interests of mine, all these skills of mine, they all filter in, right? So um, they didn't have the spiritual midwifery at the library, but they had a video put out by the same midwives called spiritual midwifery. And so I took a VHS video, I took it home and I sat on the floor and put it into my little, um, what's it called? Thing, Deck machine. Player. VHS, yeah, that's it. VHS player, <laughs> that's so right? VHS player. Um, and I sat down and I was enchanted. I'd never mm. been to a birth. I know nothing mm. about, about babies at this time. I was enchanted. It was like I had been there a thousand times in my life. I knew it. I just knew I just knew what these people were doing and I knew why they were doing it. I knew the energy and I cried my eyes out mm -hmm. and I hit record and I watched the whole thing again. And I said, done, this is done. Right. And so I think for many reasons that that is why I'm where I am now. Because mm -hmm. back then I would never have believed in something greater than myself. I would never have believed in, um, something being my fate or that I was born to do something. Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't have believed any of that. And, um, and that experience has carried me for all these years. For a long time, if I ever questioned the choice, I felt this wall go down saying, nope, no, keep going. Next foot in front of the next foot in front of the next foot. You're tired. We hear you. Keep going. And so I've kept going. Wow. Even for the really hard times. That is a phenomenal story. I've gotten to hear, <laughs> I have had the honor and privilege of hearing quite a few stories of how the mantle of midwifery has been realized. Mm. And many mm. times 
it is pretty profound, but I've never heard that particular version because it is yours, Becca, and it mm-hmm. is beautiful. And I, I, I have goosebumps just from hearing it and sharing it. <laughs> Thank you. I get goosebumps every, bumps every time I tell it. Yes. <laughs> um, good. I'm glad I shared it then. Um, I think to, because of that experience, I started trusting myself and um, honoring myself in a whole new way um, and suddenly recognize that I have intuition. Mm. In fact, I am extremely intuitive. It is my greatest asset. It guides me in everything I do. And I, uh, um, I could have easily just like not known that for another 10 or 20 or 50 years, I think, without that experience. <clears throat> Well, with that revelation, then there was still so many profound decisions that came along with that. Right. Pathway, all these things. So tell us a bit about that journey. Okay. So I I spent some time figuring out what kind of midwife I wanted to be because there are lots of great choices and they were all great choices. And I finally decided to become a nurse midwife because I really wanted to be able to continue care with women and take care of their children when they came of age and take care of their sisters and their aunties, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't want the relationship to be done at the end of the six, six weeks postpartum period. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I also didn't really know what being a nurse midwife was, and I didn't know what my scope of practice was going to be. I thought it just meant that I could do like some annual exams later. Um, and so um, the school that made the most sense for me was Yale. I was literally 30 minutes away from it and I liked the program. And so that's where I went. And I went in with this belief that I was going to learn what I needed to learn from these people and then unlearn a lot of it, um, the fear-based parts Mm -hmm. and get super holistic. And my initial thought was that I'd probably start a home birth practice in Massachusetts after I graduated. In fact, I even bought the printer that I would need, like this really high-end printer before I started graduate school because I knew I'd want it for the business, which I think is kind of savvy and hilarious. Um, (laughs) Okay, and so when I was in school, I had the opportunity to um, do some work with the home birth midwife. It was an add-on. I did that. Um, I had the opportunity to go to India as a group of four students after my first year in the summer to study maternal maternal child health. Um, And the entire system of maternal child health in a place like India is very different from anything we know here. The women and the children and their health in many ways is put at the very top of the list Mm -hmm. because the country knows that if the women and the children are well, the country is well, right? And there are many ways in which this doesn't actually work out, but it's that is the general model, which I found really impressive. So while I was there, um, we traveled a bit and I had this really amazing, <laughs> I'll say it on, I'll say it out loud, I had an amazing love affair with a man that I met there um, and went back the next year to spend some more time with him um, and to study traditional midwives out in the countryside, the ones who work very hard not to be found, um, because I wanted to understand what their wisdom is and um, gosh, I could talk about that for hours. I won't, but I want to understand what their incredible wisdom is that they offer Mm -hmm. to women Mm -hmm. that is misunderstood by the system that's trying to retrain them and, and remove their cultural inheritance and what they, you know, 
I, I wanted to figure out how they're being retrained and losing the important skills they had, and is there a way to dev devise a new model for um, helping them to improve the skills they needed to in terms of safety outcomes, but also retain the beauty of their cultural inheritance as midwives. Mm. Anyway, so I wrote my master's thesis on that. That was awesome. Um, and I also got to go to South Africa and help catch babies out in this tiny little um, hospital where women would feel their first contraction out in the fields and start walking to, toward the hospital and maybe have their baby on the way, maybe have their baby in the hallway a few steps from the maternity ward, whatever. It was incredible. Hmm. These women would not make a sound and just a little dribble of sweat would go down their um, temple and you knew the contraction was happening just because of that. Just yeah. incredible women. I loved it. Um, so when I graduated, I looked for a place where I could do home birth and kind of unlearn the fear I'd been taught while retaining all the skills that I had gained. And I found this great birth center out in Juneau, Alaska, 4,000 miles from my home, and had a wonderful conversation with um, the then executive director, and she was the founder as well, and felt like we were really um, aligned in many ways. And so she offered me a job, and I took it. And I was working with uh, direct entry midwives. One of them was also a certified professional midwife at the time. And I was their nurse midwife who had some prescriptive authority. Um, and that really changed my life in many ways. I was there for 12 years in Juneau. I only caught babies for five years because it turns out I really, um, I really don't do well with lack of sleep. <laughs> I went into chronic fatigue syndrome pretty quickly mm -hmm. from 24 seven mm -hmm. call for five years. I was, wrecked mm -hmm. um and one day was out on my back porch in the sunshine with a cup of coffee and i heard myself say like this great big voice came up out of myself and it said girlfriend the jig is up mm -hmm. you get to keep serving these beautiful women and beautiful babies and beautiful families in this beautiful place you get to keep doing that or you get to take care of yourself mm -hmm. and regain your health mm -hmm. but you don't get both you're making that choice right now. Wow. And so I did. And I chose me. Um, Hallelujah. Which... Let's pause. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go ahead. I mean, Thank I'm going to take a moment to stay. When we choose ourselves, we're choosing what's best for everyone. I agree. Around Whether us. or not it looks like it at the time. Rather or not. Yeah. And it was super messy. Yeah. at that time and mm. it was super hard but i agree that was the best choice i could have made for myself and it set the example for me choosing myself mm -hmm. um over the years which i've had to do yeah yeah so then i took a job also in juno providing integrative medicine primary care for women using a midwifery model of care which was really awesome i had great mentors um and then realized that I've always, I, I like had always wanted to start my own business, right? Like that was the plan and I hadn't done it. <clears throat> and I wasn't ready to leave Juno because I loved it there. So then I just um, started my own clinic doing integrative medicine for women and prenatal postpartum newborn care, but not the births. Um, it was really hard to say no to all the births. Um, <sighs> yeah, because yeah. these would be people you already know. And you've yeah, I'd already caught their babies. That's right. And now I was doing some prenatal yeah. care and then handing them back to other people. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it was really hard. <laughs> it's still really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so 
You know, the interesting thing is that when I went to graduate school to become a nurse midwife, I think I said I didn't really know what my scope of practice would be, and I did not know I was going to be learning primary care. And since I was a little girl, I had always wanted to do primary care on some level. Um, and I was really into herbalism and homeopathy. And so now I do primary care with herbalism and homeopathy and some pharmaceuticals and lots of nutrition and lifestyle and mindset work. And I work with pregnant mamas with thyroid disorders or just need some supplemental midwifery um, help. I do all of it by telemedicine now. Mm. I moved back to Massachusetts. So um, I'll take a step back. I, I opened my Alaska clinic, Earthsong Integrative Medicine and Midwifery, in 2016. And I did that for three years, uh, four years, excuse me. Um, and in the midst of it, I had a baby. Um, yeah, that's not yeah, a little I, thing. Let's talk about that too. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Um, I'll finish this one thought. Yes, I'm right back to it. No. So at the end of 2019, I realized that I was building, but I was in the wrong place. I was 4,000 miles away from my support system and from my primal roots. Like this land in Massachusetts is my home and my body knows it is home. And as much as Alaska has been my home and it is now a primal part of who I am, it is never going to be the place I was brought up. And so I came home just prior to the pandemic starting mm -hmm. with my baby boy. And, and I'm continuing to serve women through Earthsong Clinic, but through telemedicine, which mm -hmm. has been very, very cool. Okay, so I, um, yeah, so in 2016, well, probably well before that, I realized that I hadn't found the daddy of my babies and that I had been called to be a mama since I was four years old and figured I'd be the first of my friends to be pregnant in, in my twenties and like never imagined a career. I'd be married and pregnant and um, really early. And I've watched all of my friends have all their babies and get married and get divorced. And every baby I caught, I would look at and say, gosh, this one still isn't mine and mm -hmm. hand it to the mama with sorrow and excitement, of course, for her. And so I finally said enough. This is enough. This is really important to me. My life will never be whole if I'm not a mom. Mm. And so I, um, I had helped a number of women conceive with donor sperm. And so I chose to do the same. And I knew the sperm bank to use. And I pretty quickly found the right donor. I mean, it was almost like from however many miles away this man is, I don't know who he is, of course, but like he almost smelled good to me from his profile. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I could date this human being. He seems perfect. And our ancestry was very similar, whatever. So, um, so I got pregnant on the first try doing a home um, intravaginal insemination. It was incredible, just incredible. May I, I had, ask um, a question just because I have yeah. so little familiarity with this? So yeah. you get to actually, it's almost like a pseudo dating app. You get to kind of yeah. pick who you yeah. feel is going to be your best uh, daddy giver, you know, so yeah. to speak. Now, is there any kind of connection or do they have any kind of a connection? How does that work? Yeah, so um, each bank has their own way of saying this, but I use the sperm bank of Berkeley, California. I can never remember the actual name. Um, sperm bank of California, and it's in Berkeley. That's what it is. Um, 
so they have an identity release program. So some of their donors choose to be part of this program and some choose not to. And so it's a, there's a very hard line there. And so this donor chose to be in the identity release program. So when my son turns, hmm, I can't remember if it's 18 or 21, he gets to go back to the bank and say, okay, I'd now like to know who the donor was. Wow. Yes. And that and was your conscious choice. His, that's a conscious choice. It's a conscious yes. choice for you and for the, and for the donor. To say, and for the donor, yes, yep. and he's okay. the donor's committed to keeping his contact info updated with the bank. Okay, um, yep. And so I love that mm -hmm. my son gets to go to this bank and find out who his genetic donor is, and mm -hmm. it's not even in my hands anymore. It, then right. I get to say simply, right. they get to meet and have a relationship if they want to. It's up to my son when he's old enough to make that choice, and I love that. Yeah. That's, that's um, great. Thank you for clarifying, because I have sure. literally had no experience personally. Oh, <laughs> so sure. really yeah, yeah. And it's like thousands and thousands of donors that you can search based on all sorts mm -hmm. of criteria mm -hmm. and look at their medical history and their family medical history. And like the person who I chose is a Rube Goldberg um, artist. Like he's mm -hmm. really into sculpture and cause and effect and artistry. And I thought that, that was really, really <laughs> sexy. <laughs> <laughs> This is why we get to find out, who, you know, something about them. Um, and interestingly, the donor and I looked very similar in our baby pictures. But mm -hmm. I have access to two baby pictures of his, um, which I think is very cool. Okay. <clears throat> so I had Reiki done on the sperm tank when it arrived, which was also great. <laughs> and a really cool mama blessing experience. Um, mm. Yeah. So anyway, it was really amazing. Um, it was one of those moments similar to when I had that very spiritual calling mm -hmm. to midwifery where I just mm -hmm. felt like I was something, something bigger than just me was happening. And then that my connection with the greatness, the divine was so palpable. Mm -hmm. It was really, mm -hmm. really and like talk about conscious conception. It was very amazing. Yes. Yes. That is, that's, that's an, an equally beautiful and amazing story. Thank you for sharing. Thank that. you. Thank you. Um, okay. Where would you like to go from here? Well, okay. Where, because I kind of interrupted you with that whole stream. You were talking oh. about how you, before you moved back to Massachusetts, which is mm -hmm. really your, your heart home connection, although I mm -hmm. know how you feel about Alaska. In fact, isn't it very recent that you're going to have a visit there? Is that right? Yes, we're going yeah. in for two weeks in May for our first time heading back. And I cannot wait to reintroduce him to his land, yeah. right? That's where his primal roots mm -hmm. are in many ways. And mm -hmm. yeah, I can't wait. <clears throat> mm -hmm. That's a beautiful. And of course, then to see all of our people and to be reconnected with that land is going to be really special. The sense of community there is strong. It really is. Now, uh, one thing I did not say yet is just that that's where we're... That's where Becca and I met. Was at that <laughs> Juno Family Birth Center, and we, we had, had so much some fun, treasured moments together. <laughs> we did, uh, yes, we did. It was uh, just delightful to have our adventures and our oh. just our minds and our thoughts and our even some oh. of our dreams and expectations. They were all mixed in, and what we I were know. able to explore together is really quite so special. It really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. I thought actually I was going to be part of Juno, Alaska at one point in time. That's right. I did. But about the time I was uh, 
ready for this big transition than we started having grandbabies. And for oh. us to move to Alaska just felt too remote, you know, just too far away. And yes, quite course. honestly, that that kind of interfered. Plus, there was an aspect of it that I think would have challenged me that you may be speaking to. And that um, when you speak of having a bit of the dark prevails oh, for gosh. so many months of the year. And then you oh, have gosh. the profound light. But I do believe that that stretch of dark would be quite challenging for me to navigate. Yes. Yes. And then if the summer was exceptionally rainy, which happened a lot, <laughs> then many of us had seasonal affective disorder in the summer. Despite yeah. having such long mm. days, it was still very dark and gloomy. Mm. Mm -hmm. It was, it became really hard for me. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. In fact, true. I remember my hardest days looking up at the sky, <laughs> the very cloudy sky thinking, when is it my turn to get out of here? Mm -hmm. And of course, didn't want to leave all of my people and my work. There was so much meaning, so yeah. much community. Yeah. But I also knew that without sunshine, my body was really unable to be at its best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like, have seen there was no access to optimal health at all. Correct. I have seen appreciated some of your postings and how <laughs> that just oh my goodness how I can open up to being with those needs being met in where you're living now and Absolutely. the difference that that makes for you. Absolutely. Mm. So you know, I think I want to go partly where you want to go here, right? But I also think it would be important for me to talk a little bit about my experience of motherhood intertwined with my experience of exhaustion. Mm, I think that's very important to talk about. In the life okay. of a midwife, I don't think there's a single midwife that would not have that. But that is not limited to midwifery. We all know no. this. Motherhood no. is exhausting. Yes, please. It is exhausting. Yeah, so... Having had chronic fatigue syndrome coming out of my five years of doing 24-7 call with out-of-hospital births, I worked really hard to reclaim my energy and my health. Um, actually, let me take a sec back. I was never unhealthy, except that I was in adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and I took really good care of myself as best I could, given the circumstances of my work. Um, and I, I got... Yeah, I really, really took care of myself after I left that job and felt great. And the best I ever felt was before I conceived my son because I really worked it hard to be at my best. Um, but when he was born, he was born at 36 weeks gestation. I had planned a beautiful home birth and in fact, preferably one with no touch. Like you all can be around the edges of the room or there'll be a screen. Like, I just don't want to be touched. I just want to go deeply inward because I'm, I'm a thinker, right? Like highly, highly, highly working in my head all the time, all the time, um, which is probably what makes me good at my job. But it's really hard for me to turn off, especially when I'm in the midst of my colleagues who were going to be my birth team. Um, and instead, my water broke at 35 weeks and five days. Hmm. real bummer and especially in a region where you can't even have your baby in that region until 36 weeks you have to get medevaced out a thousand miles to anchorage or seattle hmm. um and so I, I won't go into the whole birth because although that is a whole other story but um 
ultimately I went to the hospital, of course, because that was the right choice. And he was born at 36 and one, 36 weeks, one day. And he was very, very preemie. Um, and he did okay. But, but that was extremely stressful to me. I came out of that birth with very significant PTSD mm-hmm. and uh, for a lot of reasons. And he then proceeded to not sleep. So he was a kid who would sleep 45 minutes at a time at the longest until he was 18 months old. But for a long time, he would sleep only three to 10 minutes at a time um, from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., which were the hours in which we were very separated after his birth. Mm -hmm. So he would be Mm -hmm. processing Mm -hmm. and not sleeping and screaming. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this out loud, that that I was so sleep deprived in the first five to six months after he was born that I could see psychosis on the horizon. Mm-hmm. I was just that tired. Mm-hmm. And w- did I have psych- psychosis? No, I didn't. But, no. but I could see how easy it is for women to get there and how much we pathologize it. <laughs> yeah, it, which made me irate because I was doing everything I could and I was a healthy human being. And the only problem is I didn't have any sleep. <laughs> um, mm. Well, and I had PTSD, right? So, um, so I think the work of motherhood is constant and beautiful. And for me to be a single mother processing PTSD, probably some anxiety and depression too, and my baby, whenever he nursed, brought up all of the sexual trauma I've experienced. It was like I could see a slideshow in front of my eyes every night at 2 a.m. while he was trying to feed. And I had to decide, this is kind of harsh, but I had to decide cognitively somehow, like, wait a minute, this is my baby on my body. But my body wanted to decimate the thing that was trying to um, take more of me. Mm-hmm. It was like having to differentiate, is this an attacker? Is this an, someone who's trying to assault me? Or is this my baby? And it was very hard to do as a sleep deprived mm-hmm. person at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, did, just, I didn't see that coming. I'm a midwife. I know so much about all of these things. And yet I didn't know it was going to be my lived experience. So um, anyway, I got a lot of help, which was great. Like, a really great counselor, a couple of mamas who didn't think I was crazy, didn't think I was confusing. Mm-hmm. They just saw it and said, you, you are part of our tribe. We know what you're going through. Mm. Tell us more. We'll make some, some sense of this for you. It was so helpful. But anyway, I think all of that left me really deeply depleted. And I think a lot of moms are, mm-hmm. um, but this was my version of it. And then I went back to work and at six months postpartum and I was sleeping better and I certainly would have delayed if I didn't think I could show Mm -hmm. up for work. And work was such a great break from how hard my like lived experience of being a mom with this greatly desired child, wondrous child and the conflicting experience I was having, Mm. which I had, no one had talked about it with me in a way that I, really heard this was a whole new world for me and i thought it was just me mm-hmm. but i'm realizing it's not it's not lots of women have their own version of this um and i think too because of all the years of being on call and 
being a healthcare provider, giving, 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 giving. There's something about me now as a mom where I think, wait a minute, there has to be something for me. Yes, I love my child. Yes, I'm giving him everything I can give him, but I also have to retain something for me. And it's been an interesting process of figuring out that balance of prioritizing myself in the midst of uh, being a healthcare provider and um, a solo mama to a child who is very attached and really likes to be playing with his mother all day long. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, what you bring up in terms of that very challenging situation Mm. is very common for mothers to abandon their selves. Oh my because gosh. The, because everything, it kind of demands it in some ways because yes. you do have to take care of this baby first. You can't just say, hey, yes. I'm going to set you aside for a half an hour, an hour, no. and then, Absolutely. then I'll no. get to your needs. Uh, but I think it's almost universal that we begin to lose ourselves. Yes. That many mothers begin to lose staying connected with that that little spark of magic that's in your life that spark of retaining i am in connection with this part of myself and it's alive and i actually can feed it or nurture it and i actually need to yes in fact it's my job too thank you yes The thing I've come to is that we were all born to do something incredible, perhaps many things incredible, and raising children may be part of that for our journeys, but that there are other things too. And it is now my job to be in self-care mode as much as I possibly can so that I can continually give because my cup is full now and I only give from the excess, whereas before I would just give until my cup had nothing in it and then look around and wonder why I had nothing for myself. Yeah. It's great. This is great. Great points for us as regardless of which phase we are in motherhood, it's great for us to pause and get real and be honest about this with ourselves. Yes. And the process of filling your cup is not easy when you haven't been doing it for a long time. It's a, it's a practice like anything else. And sometimes it goes really well. And sometimes you catch yourself with an empty cup, like, oh, there I went again. Okay, I try again. <laughs> but this process has also led me, all of it, like maybe the entire, my entire life has led me to this place of saying, okay, wait, no, I matter. Wait, no, I'm doing something big in this world. And I think because of my experience of motherhood, mm-hmm. I have recognized with a little rage that women do lose themselves Mm -hmm. and are required to lose themselves. And my experience, my upbringing, or my interpretation of my upbringing is that to be a successful woman, you give and give and give and give and give until there's nothing left, which means you essentially don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. There is nothing of you to give. So you don't even exist by definition. So that is what it is to be successful, to have decimated yourself to the point of not even being anymore, which is where I have been. That's where I was. Nice. And mm-hmm. and I feel some level of ferocious rage about that now. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that smiling because it means that now that my cup is quite a bit fuller, 
and sometimes very full, I am now on a mission to help women reclaim themselves because I have had to do it for myself and I see what it took for me and what's going to continue to take because this is a lifelong journey. But I, I just can't sit quiet anymore about women who are living from a place of exhaustion and continuing to exhaust themselves, whether or not they're mothers. Although motherhood is, is um, a large group of these women, I think. Um, yeah. That's what really fires me up these days professionally. And that this being a time where more and more divine feminine is becoming more of a cultural shift for mm -hmm. us. Thank, thank, mm -hmm. thank, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that the truths that have been covered over through the neglect of society are now kind of being brought more to the forefront so that there could be more balance more and I, don't you hate that word balance because you hear it all the time balance your and work life and you know it's like oh come yes. on please yeah but again to really recognize we've had that saying for all of my life that i know it if mama ain't happy ain't nobody happy and yes. it is the core truth. And mama can push herself to complete. I'm going to do it. And, and then with many belief systems, that's you, your duty. That's your, that's what you yes. bought in to do, particularly yes. if you are a woman for many yes. belief systems, that's the, that is what is supported. And yet the reality is there is a higher calling there is yes. a better way and it is not going to be brought forward from male driven viewpoints it's going it can't to be. Ha no there's no way it's captured it has to come through with our with our sisterhood you know yes yes so i applaud yes. your work thank you oh thank you it feels like um there's something coming out of me that's so strong, there is no choice anymore. Mm -hmm. This is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to see what the curves of this thing look like more and more as it reveals itself in my life. Mm -hmm. And and so it's like this, this, there is this energy and this great desire to support women in really fully being themselves, mm -hmm. wholeheartedly, unabashedly, unapologetically, being themselves and living from a place of high, wondrous energy and then giving from there. That's mm -hmm. the goal. But I also, in the midst of it, get to find out who I am in the process, right? Because mm -hmm. as I help women do this, of course, I'm doing it too. And so uh, I can't wait to see what we all do. It's a discovery process and I can't either. I can't either, but I would say the future is bright. <laughs> I would say that this putting together the energy that brings that place of motherhood, I'm intrigued with you talking about India and that their priority is that the health and wellness of the mother and the child is of the utmost importance. Yes. And now 
when you said that, that doesn't that trigger? I mean, where does that <laughs> fall in our society? Where oh is gosh. the health of mothers and babies in, in our particular culture here in the United States? Why That's are we ranked the worst of the developed right. countries? The shift to have the appropriate, if you want to say, reverence, even mm. even women, women not having the support of other women in making choices to either stay at home or to be at work and that there's yes. again this a disparity of support that's what i want to say oh my gosh absolute disparity of support which not all of you will agree with this but for me there's this little gut feeling i have which says disparity of support keeps us small i fully agree Right. And, yes. and, and who does that serve? <laughs> Not us. Not us. <laughs> Not yeah. us. And so we don't get, we don't have to choose that anymore. And that, that that's right. The generations of women who are adults right now get to re-village. We get to work on the re-villaging concept and we may not reap the benefits wholly, but we're at least setting this new trajectory for the women who will be the babies, the four-year-olds mm -hmm. right now who will mm -hmm. be mamas at some point mm -hmm. and need a village again. Hopefully we'll have a village for them then. Mm -hmm. Mamas and daddies. You and know, daddies, mommies thank you, and, I mean, you know, for the society, it's not just about, I don't want anybody to hear the words I say and think that it is actually a form of, of feminism, if you want to say that, but it's not for that purpose. It's for the purpose of really bringing um, to the surface how we relate with nurture and nurturance and and um, with nurturance at the helm. Yes, for everyone. For everyone. Nurturance for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I um, often think about what it is to be a single mama. I'd like to say actually solo mama, although single comes out sometimes. Um, solo mama who's working mm -hmm. to make ends meet, raising a child, trying to raise a really conscious and loving and compassionate boy. And I garden and I homestead and I try to keep our house going and I cook all the meals and I do all the cleaning and I maintain our car and I line up the people who have to like service take care of the house or cut down the broken trees or you know it's just it never goes it never stops and i remember watching the spinning plates video from the ed sullivan show i think it was a million years ago right it was <laughs> on youtube and i literally had to stop watching because it was like someone putting my life in front of me and it was increasing my anxiety and i thought like i don't i no more no more i can't no more <laughs> and so I don't know about other families. I can't speak to those who have two parents or three parents or however the permutation. This is hard. Mm -hmm. Like I am, I am living hard all the time. And occasionally it is filled with ease and joy. And I find moments every day. But um, it is a practice to stay, is to stay in gratitude and to stay in joy and noticing beauty and absorbing and receiving pleasure. Like this is all a very conscious practice. It's not coming mm -hmm. naturally right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe the more I practice it, the more 
automatically I will be feeling these things, but I am in a phase in my life of deciding to be happy and deciding to love my life and deciding to sculpt my life the way I want it to be. I think I turned, you know, I turned, I'm 44 now, but when I turned 40, I think I realized like, oh, the things I want to have happen in my life aren't actually going to happen unless I make them happen. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that like gripping the steering wheel with white knuckles. I mean, like, I'm just going to decide that, that I, I, I own my life and I'm sculpting it. So mm -hmm. I guess I mean to say none of this is easy, right? No. Even so, when we're in a place of doing beautiful things, it's not necessarily easy. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And then there, you know, there's always that comeback of worthwhile things really are easy. However, what is giving you the strength to do it? Let's talk about that for just a moment. Oh, Roxanne, what a great question. What is giving me the strength to do it? Yeah, you've already... I mean, I get it. I have a partner. <laughs> well, I mean, I have a partner and I, I'm sitting here going, wow, we have a garden. He's the one that gardens. We have a yard. We don't have animals. Well, we have a bird. But, you know, <laughs> I have my life going, I have it so freaking easy in contrast. <laughs> so I really want to know what strengthens you and your capacity to do this. And what do you dream of to have? Gosh, I don't have a quick answer on what no, strengthens me. Let me think about that. It must be the dream. I think it is the dream that I have. Mm. Um, I'm going to take a step back. Before I became a mom, a number of my friends talked about the fact that they would kind of like have these moments of looking around their life and being able to see the bigger picture and realize that they didn't recognize themselves anymore. Couldn't even remember what they used to love to do, but that they were so lost to themselves. And back then I made a vow to myself I would never go there. And, and I have to some extent gone there, right? I mean, at times in my mothering journey but but not really mm -hmm. I remember that I love to knit and I still have the knitting needles I love to um, <laughs> hand bind books I love to garden I love to cook I love to clean like these have always been and they still are I just might not do them as frequently as I would like <clears throat> and so I think that there's an inner love I love myself mm. and and I now know that I, I am maybe the co-creator of my life, mm -hmm. with the divine being the other co-creator, right? <laughs> and um, and I get to, I just, it's up to me. Mm. It's up to me to either make this the beautiful life that I look back on and say, I have no regrets, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I get to wallow in the hard the hardness of my days and and become depressed these mm -hmm. are the choices mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. now when and you when, oh please go ahead no 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 go ahead when you spoke of returning to your massachusetts you mm. spoke to the fact that that's where you had 
also a lot of support. Not that you don't have support in Alaska because we know you do there too. Yeah. So what does that support look like? <sighs> well, a lot of support means um, my parents mm -hmm. live in the same town. Mm -hmm. And they pick up my son two afternoons a week from school while I hold clinic on Alaska time, which is four hours behind me. <laughs> and they make dinner for us. Mm. And so I close up at five o'clock and I run through the path over the mountain to their house, <laughs> through the woods, and there's dinner for us. And, um, and if I'm going to be really late to school to pick him up, sometimes they can go get him instead. Like there's just enough um, ease now in my life because I have a second, I have a, a, a group of loving hands mm -hmm. ready to be there for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That yeah. equally delight in having that opportunity to have oh. time, you know. And really. his life is so enriched by his grandparents. Yes. It's incredible. Yes. Incredible. And because he doesn't have a daddy at this time, he has a grandfather. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. really huge. Mm -hmm. And his grandmother is an artist and they love to do mm -hmm. art together. And mm -hmm. so it, it, that's just huge. That is huge. What did you um, tell him? Go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. Does he ask or did you from the onset just be able to say to him about um, a dad, no dad? I mean, has he yeah. brought that to you? What did you decide to do about uh, that? So it's been part of our dialogue since he was born probably since before he was born mm -hmm. um, and on in age appropriate ways. Mm -hmm. But the way we talk about it now, he's five is that um, I really wanted to be a mom and I could feel that it was time for him to be born. And I hadn't re yet met the man who was going to be his daddy. And so I got some seeds from a man who was willing to share them and I used them and we made him. And aren't we so lucky? And that he does have a daddy, we just have not met him yet. And I wouldn't say that unless I actually had a very strong intuition that there will be a daddy, and there will be. We just have not met him yet. <laughs> it's all very truthful. <laughs> uh, well, and or and or you you have not actually met the one that you know. And if that that could also happen, I think that should be a book. That's Watch beautiful. It. What you just said should be a children's book. That story mm. of his, his story of why the father isn't already here. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful story. So Thank you. if you have a spare time, your mother could <laughs> illustrate it or him. He could illustrate it. He could. But That'd there so is probably a need have you found any book that was like that? That is a beautiful No, book. not like that one. No. Yeah. Thank you. No. That's interesting you said that. I've got a couple of children's stories in my head that I've written. I just haven't mm -hmm. put them down on paper yet. And so, um, yeah. Well, I, I will call them forth <laughs> in your free time, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> whatever it is. But just to say Thank you. the way that that is expressed, it, when we talk about how a child, the stories that a child gets, when we talk about even with the birth they should have mm -hmm. a magical birth story they can oh have gosh. their yes. you know they 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 will have the story of however you want to give it to them but they need, but they also the magical story where's that um oh, and yeah. just the fact as you speak to it and i really want to call this out as well 
you've been having this dialogue since he was in the womb. Because mm-hmm. babies listen to what they hear when they're in the womb. And, mm-hmm. the, and those are important things to not just at one point in time, but throughout their lives, be able to share with them. That is beautiful. It's a beautiful story, the way you have captured it. And oh, cool. yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, that's interesting. When he was in utero, there were some, um, I'll say, global events happening that, mm-hmm. that were important. And I remember putting my arms around him, around my uterus, and talking with him about who we are. Oh. And, um, it brings tears to my eyes. Um, it, it, yes, it felt really important to tell him who we are and what we are doing in our lives. Mm. <clears throat> I'll get a little spiritual for a second. A long time ago, I went on a healing quest in the mountains of Ashland, Oregon with an incredible shaman. And we had to spend a lot of time by ourselves out in the mountains alone, fasting, sorting out some things in our lives. And I decided at that point that I was no longer a martyr. That was a month before I I quit my job, the birth center. And I was given a spiritual name, which is called Light in the Darkness. Mm. And um, that I'm a way shower. Mm. And it's been really incredible to trust that and to Mm. live into it (laughs) and then own it. And I believe my son is as well. And so that's been part of the conversation not so much now, as I don't know how to explain that to him yet. But in utero, it was a big conversation. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thanks. And it is, let's just say, it is your willingness to be authentically you that gives you the insight to the authentic child. Mm. That's profound. Yeah, I agree. It's nothing that I've ever thought of before. You drew it from me. You literally <laughs> drew that from me, okay? <laughs> no, I, th- I think that is exactly right because people have often said that my son and I are really attuned to each other, mm-hmm. really attuned to each other. Like in the hospital, the day he was born, he needed to have an IV because his blood sugar was crashing and, um, and nursing wasn't bringing his blood sugar up and it was very scary. And so I would say to him, with my lips against his forehead, connected to him, you're going to feel a little poke. Can you make your hand available? There's going to be a little poke. Mm -hmm. And he would literally, like, make the slightest movement and and become available, you know, put out his hand. And the nurses would look at us like, how? How are you doing this? How are you so connected? Um, But I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. knowing myself so deeply and having had a very incredible sense of who he is from the beginning Mm. absolutely wonderful unbelievable how fast an hour can go by we are (laughs) coming down to the last few minutes and number one we need to let everyone know how to connect with becca it's so important because you've you've brought forth the magic juju of your life and and, and I know you and I know that there's other people out there that's going to want to get to know you more and know more about your work. How do they do that? How do they find you? Thanks, Roxanne. Um, Well, I serve Alaskan women um, through my clinic, which is called Earth Song 
integrative medicine and midwifery. The website is Earth, as like the Earth we live on, song that we sing, wellbeing.com. And I've got an online course called Radiant Energy for Women, helping women. It's a 12 week course helping women reclaim themselves, first starting with their energy, but then we go much, much deeper. I am so excited about it. Um, so the place you can find me on Facebook to talk about that is called Energy for Exhausted Women. That's my public group where people can come in and find out more. And I have an email, which is radiantenergyforwomen at gmail.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, you say that the clinic is for women in Alaska, but you're doing this online? Right. So it's two things. So I have two businesses. So the clinic, it, I can only serve residents of Alaska in the, in the Earthsong clinic via telemedicine. That's state regs um, mm. for Alaska. Um, and so because I was limited to only working with Alaskan women through the clinic, I wanted to go bigger. And so creating this online course, which um, I, I am an expert, but, but in the realm of it, legally, I'm a health coach. I can serve women in any corner of the world through the online course. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I was just curious about that because obviously you are a nurse midwife and, yes. and, and a nurse practitioner, right? Yes. Does that go with yes. it? Yes. So your ability to do telemedicine, that's why I was not understanding that it was limited mm. to Alaska women. That's what I was curious about. Got it. So. Yes, thank you. Right. And I think it's because of that limitation that I started thinking, okay, how do I reach more people and how mm -hmm. do I go even bigger? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm very thankful that you have all of these ways for people to connect with you. I will mm. uh, really appreciate this beautiful interview. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. This has been really fun. It really has. And of course, we're we're friends and we haven't even <laughs> gazed into each other's eyes via Zoom or anything in, in, in a long while. Years. A long time. Years. It it's might been... have been 10 years since I've seen your face in person. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so here you are getting to see how much we uh, admire and appreciate each other. And, and, I, mm -hmm. and I greatly do. Thank you for your work. Thank you. Thank you for yours. Thank you for sharing the stories of so many midwives. This is incredible. Yeah, it's for midwives and families and birth workers of every sort and birth practitioners and just your everyday person. Whoever wants to turn in, tune in, hopefully they come away with uh, knowing your power, knowing your right to be fully informed to make choices, and knowing that there's a community of people that are working to promote life in a new dimension, in a new way, and a support for every human being to be nurtured on this earth. Mm. That's gorgeous. I'm getting chills. <laughs>
Have a blessed Mother's Day, and we will catch you in the air next week, same time, 11 a.m., right here on valley1049.org.